Thank you, Vani. That was beautiful. This morning, we are going to participate together in a call to worship, and I need your help with me uh, because I am going to say a refer- uh, something, and then you are going to respond with a refrain that is the same refrain throughout. We're going to have a little bit of a back and forth, but we're not going to have the words on the screen, so you just got to follow along with me. But the refrain that you are going to say repeatedly that you're going to become very familiar with is, God's love endures forever. So let's practice that. Perfect. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Who alone does great wonders. Who by understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights, the sun and the moon. Who brought Israel out from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Who divided the Red Sea into two and brought Israel through the midst of it. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Let's sing, stand and sing to the God who love, love, whose, ah, whose love endures forever is what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs>
Friends, it is this rootedness in God's love and our confidence in Christ's righteousness alone that lays the foundation for an invitation to confess our sins to God. Confession is honestly agreeing with God about the brokenness in our world, in our communities, and in ourselves. Prayers of confession are a regular part of our rhythm in worship together, and sometimes I wonder if we become numb or unaffected by the things that we regularly do because they become mere habit. So this morning we're going to do something a little bit different for our prayer of confession and maybe awake in new ways, become awake in new ways to the gift that confession is. So several weeks ago my husband and my youngest daughter were talking about the newest video that came out from one of their favorite YouTubers. The YouTuber is Baumgartner Restoration. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. You can check it out. Uh, this guy takes pieces of art um, that are quite old and very valuable, and they've become dirtied and damaged, and so he goes through this painstaking process of restoring the pieces of art to make them look new again. There are often multiple steps in that restoration process, and it takes hours and days and weeks. Um, almost every painting has to go through a very careful cleaning process that uses just the right solvent to remove that dirt and grime and sometimes old paint that others have used to try to restore and they've done a poor job of it and he has to scrape all of that away and use solvents. So sometimes layers are chipped away but they have to be very careful. So I decided to watch the YouTube video with Adam and Sophie and see what the big deal was and within 10 to 15 seconds of watching it, I felt like I was watching um, just a vision of what confession is when we let God uh, restore us when, when we submit ourselves to the loving hands of God as he wipes away the things that have dirtied and sullied us. Um, when we submit our whole selves to God, we can do so without shame. Um, we can let go of the things that we cling to and that are clinging to us, allowing our true value, the image of God that we bear, to be seen more clearly. So we're going to watch a portion of one of these videos, uh, and as the video plays, I invite you to pray with your eyes and heart open. Hear the scripture that is read. Notice what you notice. Let the moments of silence become a place where God might bring certain things to light and to the surface that we need to confess. Let's pray together. Have mercy on us, O God, in your faithful love. In your great tenderness, wipe away our offenses. Wash us thoroughly from our guilt. Purify us from our sin. You delight in sincerity of heart, and in secret you teach us wisdom. God, create in us a clean heart. Renew within us a steadfast spirit. God, we admit that we do not like to be in process or on the way to full restoration. We long for completion. We cling to the truth in scripture and say with the Apostle Paul, that we are certain that you who began the good work within us will continue your work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. O oh God, you are holy beyond all that we can think or imagine. You are the source of righteousness, the overflowing fountain of goodness. You made us to be like you in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And yet here we are, so often soiled, smudged, distracted from your purposes, and running after the gods of this world. Please forgive and restore us. 
through Jesus, your Son. Amen. I invite you now to join with us in singing a song that we are learning as a congregation um, about how God takes um, the ashes um, and turns it into beauty. search the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. But you came Yeah. 
Thank you, worship team. May it be so uh, that uh, God might be the only one who can take uh, the things that are going on in our lives and redeem them. Uh, we believe that, and hopefully we sometimes can feel that, and as a community, we might do that. I, we, uh, I recognize that there's a lot of folks that are going through a lot of different things at this time in their life. Uh, I've been to a couple funerals this week, or I've heard of others that I couldn't be at. Um, and we also are mourning with uh, Jim Glockson, whose uh, brother-in-law passed away this week uh, on top of all of the things that are in our care concerns. Well, welcome to Worship at Fellowship Church. My name is Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors here where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are visiting with us this morning, first off, welcome. We're glad you're here. And second, we hope that you uh, might experience some of that mission being lived out even uh, this morning in our worship service. We recognize, or a term that we use a lot here at Fellowship, at least in the office, is that, you know, phrase about who moved the cheese. You know, whenever you change something, uh, there's that uh, book that was like, who moved the cheese? And it, it kind of, it's a disruption uh, phrase. But this morning, we, we, we didn't just move the cheese on some of you, we added the cheese. In case you didn't notice, our sanctuary now has all of the seats that are possible to be put in here. Well, not quite possible, but we're back to a normal Sunday, and which means that our outside wings have uh, rows that have people sitting in them, and then there's some that say, please don't sit in. So if you'd like to be a little bit more spread out, you can sit on the outside wings, and if you want to be a little bit closer, you can sit on the inside wings, uh, for now at least. Uh, so we give thanks for that. We also recognized um, that uh, over the last year and a half, we've had to move a lot of cheese and add cheese and take cheese away uh, with regards to our worship sessions, our worship meeting, our worship gatherings. Um, and so we're going to have some listening sessions about some of the changes that have occurred over the last year and a half. Um, and so you can check that out. There's an announcement in the bulletin about that on, on August 15, before and after both of the services. We also recognize that we uh, have gone through as a congregation uh, a changing of the, the cheese, if you will, as well with regards to our pastoral leadership team. And with uh, an announcement uh, this morning from that, our president, uh, Jeff Jansma, is going to come and offer something uh, from our consistory, on behalf of our consistory. Jeff, thanks for being here this morning. You even have your Sunday best on today, you know? Usually I that's, see you in like shorts and a That's rare, polo, isn't it? You know, you got, you're fancy. That is this what I'm supposed to talk about, or can we talk about Iowa Hawkeye football? Oh, well, you can, uh, I, I don't, it's getting there. It's August. We can start talking football now. I Is know. That right? I know it. And how lucky Michigan was to not have to play him last year. Oh, yeah, well, uh, things like that. Well, I think you um, should stick, stick okay, to your okay. script, you know. Okay. The, um, it's, it's a good, uh, good thing that probably about six weeks or so I was up here with, with three items on the task list. I know when I get a task list from Tracy or when I got one from my mom, they knew the shorter it was, the more focused and the better chance of, of getting things done. Um, the, the first thing I'll remind you was to, was to put together a task force to, to develop a search team. And that was, uh, that was done um, and done quickly. And thanks to Jerry Elverson and Barb, uh, Barb Ericks and Jan Dahlman, uh, they went into attack mode with that. And, um, and so we could, we're like this far from ticking the box on that, but they've, uh, they've put together all the names, they put together all the input from consistory on, on how to think through a, a diverse team to put together the search team and have come, um, come back to us to, to start with, with two co-leads uh, to take us on the next part. And that, uh, those are um, Heather Postma and Scott Patchen. So Scott Patchen are going to kind of join in and help to finish that search team. So you could almost say we're uh, ahead of schedule. On that one, it's, it's a good feeling to have that in place. I want to thank, um, thank them so much for that. Um, number two, we talked about a culture workshop um, with Len Pallon, one of our members here, um, which is really about uh, helping with who we are and who we want to be um, and how we go about the Lord's work. Um, and we have a date set for that, and that is September 11th. Um, and, and really, that's going to be a big group because this is a big deal. It's not just about helping to find the right person. It's about who we are and who we want to be for a long time. Um, that's, so that's, uh, that's all morning. The consistory will be a part of that. Um, our, a lot of our staff will be a part of that. Our search team will be a part of that and some other members. So this is not some, this is a, a big, um, big set uh, representation of our, of our church. And number three, um, if you guys will recall, um, very important, is just a reminder um, as we get into the fall um, of putting your talents to work for the fellowship family. 
um, be it Kids Hope, be it the worship team, the tech team, um, hand-to-hand um, hosting, um, the search team if you get called for that. Um, there's, as we're going in with a, with a little bit light, we all know Nate needs all the help he can get. Um, Ross too, um, and Jess too. Um, it's, it's the fellowship family that, that makes us stronger and sends the message out to everyone. I think that's it. I'm excited to see not only where God takes the Michigan football team this year, but more importantly, I'm excited about where God might take us as a congregation. And thanks for your leadership and willingness to walk alongside of us during this time. You betcha. Thanks. We trust that God uh, is the giver of life uh, and, and hope, and uh, we believe uh, that God will uh, carry us through this chapter and into a, a different chapter in the life and ministry of Fellowship Church. One way in which we participate in that on a regular basis as members of our church is by, in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Uh, and this is a way for us to, we believe, give back uh, to God what we believe already belongs to God. And so we'd like to invite you to do that uh, with the offering plates at the uh, out back of each of the at the back of the sanctuary uh, by the doorways um, are also online. We also, at this time, would like to dismiss the children ages three through second grade to go see Miss Betsy uh, by the uh, coffee if you'd like to. Uh, and while they are leaving, I'd like to invite uh, another uh, uh, kid uh, up here to preach, uh, the notorious B.I.G. kid, Ross Dealman. You see what I did there? <laughs> yeah, that's notorious very nice. B-I-G? The, you know? Thank you, Nader. <laughs> Well, good morning, church, and the Lord be with you. Hey, today is August 1, which to me sounds like summer's going by way too fast. Maybe you as well. Perhaps you've noticed uh, we're in a bit of a vacation boom right now. People seem to be cashing in on vacations, making up for lost time from the summer before, and, and yet we also can't travel too far, right? So these vacations have to be a little bit local. I wonder if any of you have considered Mount Rushmore. Yeah, me neither. I know. South Dakota. (laughs) You know, I have a picture of it that you can see here in just a minute. It's a familiar place. Uh, I know mountains are beautiful naturally. I don't quite understand uh, why carving human faces into them is an improvement, but to each their own, you know. And uh, certainly this landmark, which is much celebrated, of course, highlights both the fame and the impact of people, and these are four of America's favorite presidents. We've got Washington and Jefferson and Roosevelt and Lincoln up there. As we begin to lean towards our scriptures this morning, it had me wondering, if we had a Mount Rushmore from the Bible, who do you think would be up there on those rocks? Go ahead and shout out a name or two. Peter? Moses? Good. Abraham, very good. These are great names. I didn't hear Jesus. That's the right answer always. <laughs> Come on. Well, I'll tell you a couple names that would not be up there likely, but maybe could and should be. Shipra and Pua. Do you know these names? Shipra and Pua. Their story is told in Exodus chapter 1. The setting is in Egypt. Shipra and Pua are small characters who live big. These two otherwise unknown Bible characters, two women, end up defying the Pharaoh, who is the highest power in the land, the one who likely carved his face and all kinds of things. And as the story is told in our scriptures, it is those two unknown women who are named while the Pharaoh is actually unnamed. And it happens in this story because Shipra and Pua live big, which is an acronym we'll unpack in a little bit. First, I want you to hear their story as it's told in the book that we love, Exodus chapter 1, starting at verse 8. It says this, Now a new king arose in Egypt, one who did not know Joseph, which is a hard shift from the stories of Genesis. The Pharaoh said to his people, Look, The Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we are. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase. And in the event of war, they may join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. 
They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on the Israelites. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them who was named Shipra, and the other who was named Pua. When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. They let the boys live. So the king summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are more vigorous and give birth before the midwives can come. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shipra and Pua. There's a couple names for you if you are expecting parents, right? I mean, come on. Shipra might be a little bit of a spelling bugger, perhaps, but, you know, it means beautiful, so that's a good name. Pua, uh, you know, well, Pua could have a tough run in middle school, right? But what doesn't? So, who cares? Pua means little. Actually, doesn't help the cause anyways, but Shipra and Pua are described in the Bible as midwives, Hebrew midwives, or otherwise they might be described as midwives to the Hebrews. It's an interesting difference. Said one way, the midwives are Hebrews, taking care of their own fellow Hebrews. Said the other way, the the midwives might be Egyptian, taking care of the others in their midst, the foreigners. We don't know what they were exactly. All we really know about Shipra and Pua is that they were midwives, that they feared God, and that they defied Pharaoh because of it. In the world of science, there's a thing called the butterfly effect. Perhaps you've heard it. It's worded in the form of a question. It basically says, what if a butterfly flapping its wings in China were to be the cause of a hurricane in the Caribbean? It's a question about the interrelatedness of all things, about how small things in one place might have big impacts in another place. Said a little differently, you might simply ask, when a pebble is tossed into a lake, just how far do the ripples roll out? Or perhaps you've heard it said that an encouraging word spoken to a child can change the entire trajectory of their life and the way they impact others. That's the butterfly effect. And Shipra and Pua are historical examples of this butterfly effect. In fact, the story of Shipra and Pua just might be the first story in recorded history of civil disobedience. There's other ancient stories, one of them in antiquity, of a peasant proceeding along with their brother's funeral, even though the king said no, but that's much smaller. Shipra and Pua are on an entirely different scale. In fact, it will take another 3,000 years' time at an entirely different place in the world before their deeds finally become enshrined in international law. You know this probably, right? In 1946, millennia after Shipra and Pua, in Nuremberg, Germany, finally a new legal term emerges, crimes against humanity. Shipra and Pua were the ones who did it way ahead of their time, where they recognized that there is a moral limit to power because there is a higher power in the world, God Almighty. And Shipra and Pua teach us an essential lesson in life. 
sometimes risk is right. Sometimes risk is right, which begs the question, what's a risk? Most dictionaries define it in a very similar way, saying that a risk is basically a situation in which someone or something is exposed to danger. So you can risk your reputation by saying what you really think, even when it's unpopular. You can risk your life by trying to swim across the ocean or by toying around with high-voltage electricity. You can risk your money in the stock market. You can risk your health by eating some unidentifiable food. In all of these situations and many, many more, risk is basically, it exists precisely because we don't know how things will turn out. And therefore, some things are risky. The question we must ask ourselves then is this. Is risk always bad or is there such a thing as a good risk? I actually asked my 13-year-old son this question this week and was utterly astounded by his answer. Without hesitation, while on his phone, he says, well, if it's risky only to you and it might be really helpful to someone else, then it's a good risk. Jaw, meat, floor, right? I did not expect that at all. Thank you, Rachel, for being a great mom. Come on. I leaned in a little bit further. This is for real. And I said to him, well, then, what about a bad risk? Is there such a thing as that? And he says, no. And I'm like, well, come on. Don't you think that maybe if it's a high risk for me and a high risk for someone else, and if there's little to be gained by taking such a risk... And he stops and looks at me and says, well, that's just dumb. (laughs) Isn't that great? Come on. Amen. Bingo. Sometimes risk is just plain dumb. And God gave us brains with the intent for us to use them, right? Sometimes risk is dumb. But also, sometimes risk is right. And in particular, if a risk successfully taken will bring great benefit to many people, and if that same risk failing harms only me, then such a risk just might be right. Another Christian has said it more beautifully than I when they say that if our single all-embracing passion in life and in death is to make much of Christ... And if the life that honors him most is the one of costly love given towards others, then life is risk, and risk is right. To run from it is to waste your life. Shipper and Pua took a good risk. At the risk of their own lives, they saved countless other baby boys. They could have played it safe, of course. They could have simply laid low. But they didn't. And because they didn't, one of those names you all shouted out this morning was born. Moses. And Moses would be God's appointed one to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. All of it happens because Shipra and Pua flapped their wings. And their actions prove that sometimes risk is right. The Bible is full of countless other examples like this. These are often ones that you may know. David fights Goliath, and his risk was a good one in that case. Esther took a good risk when she challenged King Xerxes. If you remember that story, she comes to power, and her uncle says, maybe you came to power for such a time as this. She learns of a plot, again, to exterminate her own people, And she takes a risk by confronting the king. The famous line you might know, she says, If I perish, I perish. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do the same thing. When King Nebuchadnezzar offers a ridiculous rule, expecting everybody to worship his idols made of gold, and they say no. And they face a fiery furnace because of it. They say, we believe God can save us from this. But if not, which reveals they don't know whether God will, if not, we still won't do your silly instructions, O king. Mary, the mother of Jesus, does it as well when the angel angel announces to her that she will be pregnant with child. That's risky, right? And what does she say? 
Let it be to me according to your word. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament would go city to city to city with the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing full well that in every one of those cities he'll face opposition, persecution, imprisonment, stoning, and more. And yet he decides the risk is worth worth it. He goes forward. All of these characters decide not to play it safe. And instead they take the risk because sometimes risk is right. Sure, it was scary and uncomfortable for them, but there was the possibility of great benefit for others. And so they did it. They got off the couch, they put their own necks on the line, and if they were to have run from it, they would have wasted their lives. Like butterflies, instead, they flapped their wings, and the world is different because of it. Today, I want to suggest that at some point, it's our turn And we, too, can discover with Shipra and Pua that sometimes risk is right. And we discover that by living big, which is an acronym that I want to unpack with you this morning, each letter in the word big representing something. B stands for boundaries. A boundary is an edge line. It's a property marker. It's a clear stopping point. A boundary says thus far and no further. And so in life, we set emotional boundaries, we set physical boundaries, we set moral boundaries, we set time-related boundaries, and at their best, these boundaries serve as a way to help us say no to lesser things in order to say yes to greater things. Shipper and Pua are a great example of normal people who set and kept boundaries, a moral boundary in this case, and they said no to Pharaoh in order to say yes to God. You heard it in the text there. The very specific reason for what they did was that they feared God, which is Bible speak for having a moral compass or for caring about what God cares about. You might even say they loved God, and because they loved God, there were things that they simply would not do ever, even if Pharaoh commanded them to do it. Again, boundaries are a way for us to keep priorities. It's a way of saying no to some things in order to say yes to other things. I have a pastor friend who has a plaque or a sign hanging in their office, and it says, interruptions are divine appointments. Is that true? I mean, you might say that a person with good boundaries won't allow for endless interruptions. You could also say that a person with good boundaries has room in their life for interruptions. It is ultimately a question of what are you prioritizing? So there's a classic object lesson that I'm sure you've heard before that I'd like to share with you. I have with me today a picture picture is empty, and it represents your life right now. I could choose to fill this picture with some large rocks. Imagine that I would do that. I'd put maybe three big rocks in here, and they would fit. I often do this lesson with children or with youth, and so then I'd fill it up, and I'd say to them, is it full? And they would say, yes, because it doesn't look like you can fit any other big rocks in. But then, of course, I'd slide out a jar of pebbles and add the pebbles on top, and they would fill in the gaps between the larger rocks, and lo and behold, more stuff fits in, and then you hold it up again. Is it full? And they say, yes, right? And then I do the same thing with a jar of sand, which does what the pebbles did on a smaller scale, and then you do it again with water, And it still fits some more things in. Each time they're saying, yes, it's full, and then they're surprised. At this point, you might think that the object lesson means that there's always room for more, right? A classic American kind of more is always better lesson. But the object lesson is actually the opposite, because then you grab another pitcher. And this time you fill it with water first, and then hold it up before the group and say, is it full? And having been trained the other way the first time through, now they're like, no, right? So you grab some sand and you try to pour it in and it makes a mess. You get some pebbles and it makes an even bigger mess. And if you fill it with pebbles 
and then try to put the rocks in, you realize they just don't fit anymore. And the whole point of the picture lesson is that you got to put the rocks in first. And that trying to do so later or at a different time is either impossible or just downright messy. The question, then, is ultimately yours. In regard to boundaries and in terms of priorities, what are your life rocks, friends? And if I can borrow from our mission statement, I wonder, does loving God and loving others and doing good, do any of those things matter enough to set boundaries around them so as to keep them as primary priorities in our lives at all times? If the answer is yes, that might be the beginning of your butterfly effect. Who knows how far the ripples of impact might go? And yes, of course, it can be risky to set such boundaries. Just ask Shipper and Pua. But sometimes risk is right. Which brings us to the next part of living big. The middle letter is I for integrity. To have integrity is to have all parts of life integrated. It is to live in congruency with your identity. Some popular definitions that you've maybe heard before is that to have integrity is to do the right thing even when no one is looking. Or to borrow the definition from our summer read, Brene Brown, integrity is to choose courage over comfort, to choose what is right over what is easy or what is fun, and to practice our values rather than to simply profess them. Well, in our Bible story today, I hope you can see it, Shipra and Pua choose right actions over right words. Interestingly, they keep their integrity by possibly telling a white lie. Did you notice it in there? Some of you chuckled when I read it. And this part of the story might make the legalists sweat a bit. And yet, if we're going to live big in life, we might as well get used to sweating, right? The Bible tells us that when Shipra and Pua were confronted by the Pharaoh on why they did what they did, why they let the boys live, they say, oh, those Hebrew women, they are more vigorous than the Egyptian women. They are pumping out these babies even before we can get there. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, oops, right? Sorry, not sorry kind of thing, right? And in that complex moment for Shipper and Pua, their integrity kicks in. They fudge the truth a little in order to do what's right and to keep on doing it. The scene is actually reminiscent of, uh, of another scene in World War II, a familiar one. The stories are told often. Corey Tenboom tells it in her book, The Hiding Place. The Tenboom family, members of the Dutch Reformed Church, were ones who hid Jews and other resistance workers in their own houses. When the Nazi soldiers would come knocking on their door, asking if there were any people hiding in the place, it would create a bit of attention. It would make you sweat, right? In one of those instances, Corey's little sister, hearing their question, blurts out, they're under the table! And the soldiers quick turn and rip the tablecloth off the table and find no one there. It was yet another white lie, right? There were people under the table. They were just under the floorboards under the table. These white lies, lies alongside the deeds of noncompliance were, were acts of deep integrity where they did the right thing. I don't know where the pinch is for you this morning in regard to your integrity. You know. God knows. But I want to suggest that it's pinchy because integrity is risky. And sometimes risk is right. Martin Luther King Jr. said it well when he said that the time is always right to do the right thing. The time is always right to do the right thing. That's integrity. And it's the middle part of living big. There's one more letter to share, though, and that's G 
Living big includes generosity. And generosity is quite simply giving for the good of others. You can give out of your abundance and you can give sacrificially. Both are generous acts. And so if I had 100 apples and I gave you 10 of them, that would be generous to do. You would have something you didn't have. I would still have more apples than I ever need. They'd probably rot before I could eat them, but it is an act of generosity. At the same time, if I only had one apple, I could still be generous. I could either give you my entire apple, or I could crack that apple in half and share it with you. Fun fact of the day, you actually can snap an apple in half with your bare hands, and it's really cool. But that, too, would be an act of generosity, right? To share sacrificially. Shipra and Pua do that second kind of generosity. They give sacrificially. Some 20 years ago, I was at a ministry conference, back when those were a thing. And I was given a free T-shirt, which I can't pass up on, right? So I was given a T-shirt, and it had a message on it that I'll never forget printed on a gray t-shirt in plain white words, it said, you have one life, do something. You have one life, do something. Shipra and Pua had one life, and their life was just as fragile as everyone else's, but they did something with it, right? At the risk of their own lives, they disobeyed the king and instead did what was good for others. The king has already displayed that he's okay with genocide, He's probably not going to take too kindly with people who disobey him. And yet they do it anyways. Thankfully for most of us, our acts of generosity are not nearly as life-threatening. And yet in the world of the butterfly effects, the stakes are still high. Who knows how far a little generosity will go? I have no interest in guilting you this morning into generosity. That's between you and God, and I hope that you do so cheerfully. I can maybe simply offer a few categories that might get you thinking. Classically, we say we can be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasures. We can also be generous with our thoughts, our words, and our actions. You can even be generous with your attitude towards others. And if you're in the summer read with us this morning, you'll notice that the chapter is all about that, an infuriating and invigorating conversation about whether people in the world are doing the best they can. I invite you to look at it. It's about an attitude of generosity towards others. But let's go back to Mount Rushmore. Because one of those cats carved into the mountain, Theodore Roosevelt, is the one who offered the speech that we're leaning into this summer in our Reconnecting and Rising Strong theme. It's the man in the arena speech. You've heard it before. It starts like this. He says, it's not the critic who counts, not the one who points out how the strong man stumbled or how the doer of deeds could have done them better, The credit belongs to the one who is actually in the arena, like Shipra and Pua, and maybe like you too, whose face is covered in dust and blood and sweat, who strive valiantly, and then he says this, who spend themselves on a worthy cause. That, friends, is living big, with boundaries, integrity, and generosity. And we today are able to live big because our God is even bigger. God has boundaries too, right? God is for good and against evil, and there will come a day where God shores up evil once and for all. God is a God of integrity. It is sure. God keeps covenant forever. God's mercies are new every morning, and God does not change like the shifting shadows. And God is certainly generous. The world exists because of it. God's generosity is abundant. It is what makes our generosity possible. And God's riches will not run out. Is life still risky? You bet it is. But sometimes risk is right. And in God's economy of grace, we, like Shipra and Pua, 
can live big, precisely because our God is even bigger. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.
God of abundance, for those among us experiencing healing, physical, mental, and emotional, we thank you. For those experiencing wholeness in relationship with you and within themselves, we thank you. For cool breezes, rain that fosters new growth, clean water, full bellies, in all of it, Lord, we see you and praise you. For shelter and love, for hope and safety, for faithfulness amidst our infidelity, God, we humbly praise you. Jesus, you humbled yourself to live here, to feel pain, to live among the brokenness of this world you love. In your name, we lift before you each person here, physically or virtually, experiencing the ramifications of that same broken world. We seek physical healing for those battling illnesses of cancer, chronic pain, dementia, and countless other diseases. We cry out before you for the emotional healing needed after traumas both known and unknown to us. For you, Lord, know them all. We ask for mental healing, for freedom from things like depression and anxiety and toxic thinking. Give us your cloak to touch that we might be healed. Send your spirit to bring assurance and protection and endurance and rest. God of hope, we lift our congregation before you. Revive in us the desire to grow your kingdom, spreading first into our communities, our state, our country, and into the world. Give us eyes to see each person through your lens, to put their needs before our own, not for reward or attention or return, but because it is the thing to do as your children. God of the nations, we live in a country and a world divided by so many things. We pray for your leading, for your intercession, for your hand to guide us down the right path. Empower us to treat one another first with your love, remembering we are all your children. We lift before you places of unrest due to violence, due to fires, due to tainted water or lack of water, due to empty bellies and lack of shelter. Holy Spirit, help us to boldly live our faith that we might come to know you more, reflect you more, and see you more clearly acting in the world around us and within each person you place in our paths. We bring this all to your feet, O Lord, in gratitude that you hear us. In the name of the one through whom we have the gift of life eternal, we pray. Amen. invite you to sing with us one final closing song, and this one has a little bit of a mm, beat to it. <laughs> um, and we need you to help with be the percussion section. So I'm going to invite you to clap along on the correct beat. Um, and I'm going to use the tambourine, which is new for me. So if you can do it, I can do it. If I can do it, you can. Yeah, that way. Anyway, would you stand and let's sing together? <laughs>
Just the beat is ever elusive for me, story of my life. Hey, say their names with me, Shipra and Pua. They lived big because their God is even bigger, and we are invited to do the same. And as you go out from this place to do that, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace.